Welcome to my podcast, Aging with Grace, designed for anyone who wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. This series provides useful tips, not only for taking care of yourself, family, and friends, but also how to enjoy life more abundantly than many even thought possible for people ages 55, 65, 75, and beyond. Some of our guests are doing what many listeners only dream about or maybe even never thought possible. So relax, enjoy their stories on this unique lifestyle podcast, and be prepared to share your own along with hearing useful tips and vital information for everyone aging with grace. Hope you are enjoying Aging with Grace podcast series for maturing adults. Be sure to visit my website, awgawg55.com. Send comments to your host, including ideas for future topics to D-A-L-E, that's Dale, at awg55.com. Love to hear from you. And now... Thanks to a collaboration with Kentucky Chapter AARP, enjoy part two of my interview with Sherry Rose, CEO of Thrive Center. You do have something coming up, which is a uh, AARP uh, Kentucky virtual cooking series with uh, Chef Pam. And I think that's you got like five programs scheduled from uh, September to December. Is that correct, Sherry? We do. Um, and it's a great partnership with AARP. They actually come in. We do a live cooking demonstration uh, within our smart home. Um, we, the focal point of the Thrive Center is our smart home with uh, the smart appliances. So they get to use the induction cooktop, the smart refrigerator, and we're fully equipped in there. And so we've had quite a few tune in to uh, the live cooking demonstrations. We've had a blind chef on. Uh, we had Chef Nancy on first. And uh, coming up, we have um, Chef Pamela with uh, Sweet Peaches. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, um, a restaurant uh, in downtown Louisville. And then uh, next month, we're going to do something with Chef Nancy and Urban Gardens. Uh, we're, we're looking at um, really some training with a younger generation on how to garden, how to uh, work with products and produce uh, that's healthy and nutritious. So we're going to combine that with Chef Nancy, and she's going to uh, soon announce what she'll be cooking uh, for next month. Mm-hmm. So, so tune in. Of- we are going to do those each month. That's awesome. So I gather the um, the cooking for the uh, urban audience or younger audience would be more like a food to table kind of a concept, which I understand is a lot healthier for consumption. Yes. And we like the intergenerational approach. So it's bringing them in and seeing how, you know, as aging adults, uh, nutrition is extremely important. Uh, mm-hmm. We look at dehydration among an aging population and not having access to uh, the foods that they need. And some of it is mobility and, you know, transportation to get to the grocery, uh, as well as uh, affordable. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it does cost to eat healthy. So it does. we, mm-hmm. and so when we combine that conversation with uh, what Chef Nancy will be cooking, uh, those are some of the things that we'll address. Mm-hmm. 
you know, as we're talking about cooking and uh, at the onset of the program, I had, you know, a little bit of a laugh moment. And so here's another one for you, um, (laughs) Sherry. Are you ready? And hopefully our listeners are ready. While we're talking about cooking, (laughs) this is a good one. While we're talking about cooking, why do lions eat raw meat? Answer, because they can't cook. (laughs) (laughs) That would be okay. true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll leave. I will leave that alone because folks are going to be uh, like, uh, you know, like. There we go. There's yeah. a, a little rim shot there in the corner. Um, but you know, <laughs> but when you're talking about you know healthy eating, and there is a concept also. I was reading an interesting article in the New York Times, which talked about food deserts as it uh, as they uh, disproportionately affect the low income population, I presume that food deserts are also a threat to uh, age to seniors who are aging uh, in place. Is that correct? Yes, they, they really are because um, you're looking at a lot of older adults uh, for mobility reasons. Uh, they're not getting out. Um, and, you know, I thought about like the Kroger click list and some of the things that we can do online where they can drive up and order their groceries, drive up, pick them up and never have to get out. Uh, when you look at an older adult who maybe is looking for a handicapped parking space, they have to maneuver their way through a grocery and now they have to be fearful of who they come into contact with that may be a, a carrier of the virus. Uh, those are all concerns that they have. So um, that's why you will see a lot of organizations that do the Meals on Wheels to make sure that they are eating and that uh, they're eating the right foods, the nutritious foods, uh, the nutrients that uh, we all need as we age. Mm-hmm. As we go to our uh, conclusion, i got two more points for you. I wanted to kind of elaborate on the, the first point. It's kind of elaborating on what you mentioned about um, smart refrigerators and smart stoves. Is this kind of like a HAL kind of a thing, a 2001 space odyssey, if you will, where the uh, refrigerator is letting you know what you're short on? And then how does a, how does a smart stove work in collaboration with a smart refrigerator? You know, the reason we went with the induction cooktop is because you've got a population, you know, I always think of my mother who would park her walker on the side in her kitchen, and then she would feel along the uh, countertops and the stove to get to her refrigerator. With an induction cooktop, you can have that burner on and you can lay your hand on it and it's not going to burn you. You could walk away and uh, it would immediately sense that there wasn't a pan on and it would turn off. Um, Think of as we start to lose our eyesight, um, induction cooktops can be very important for someone who is vision impaired as well. So that's why we went with the induction cooktop uh, in the Thrive Center. And then on the smart refrigerators, you know, they're not as expensive as a lot of people think. It's really like having a tablet within that refrigerator. But Mm -hmm. I always think uh, you can order, you can actually see into the refrigerator to see what's in the refrigerator. But then you can also, uh, as you go to the grocery, you can put it in the refrigerator. You can set an alert that would say, um, you know, I bought eggs today and uh, it would give the expiration date or chicken. And it changes by, did you put it in the freezer? Did you put it in the refrigerator? And so that alert would go to that person to say it's time to throw it out. 
you know, as we get older, we tend to lose our sense of taste and smell. And mm-hmm. that's why it could be a product in the refrigerator that is way past expiration and is no longer good. But if you can't taste it and smell it, do you really know that? Hmm. Well, this is absolutely awesome, Sherry. And I, I, based on our conversation, what you're sharing in terms of innovation, in terms of research, and how, as you said um, from the beginning, t- your mission of shif- shifting from aging and dying to living and thriving, I submit these points, in addition to your pillars, is probably what attracted the attention of Discovery Channel, which I understand recorded uh, Thrive Center recently. Yes, they did. Uh, actually, uh, Friday a week ago, they were in. It's Lawrence Fishburne's Behind the Scenes. And so we did a lot of B-roll there at the Thrive Center. Um, I was interviewed by them. Uh, and it's going to show may it might be ready by the end of the year, but certainly throughout the year. And so they have about 60 million viewers. And so look for that. Uh, there will be a five minute segment. There will also be shorter segments, almost like commercials, talking about behind the scenes and what we do at the Thrive Center and about technologies that can really engage and empower individuals as they age. That was Sherry Rose, CEO of Thrive Center. As producer and host of this podcast, I remain deeply indebted to professionals who are not only committed to addressing issues of aging, but who also remain willing to spend some valuable time sharing their passion with our listeners. So in that vein of gratitude, a heartfelt thank you to Sherry Rose, CEO of Thrive Center. Aging with Grace is about building community. In its eagerness to embrace youth with a passion, it seems like society in general tends to ignore people who have acquired years of life, those of us who still have so much to share in wisdom and experiences. And I'm willing to wager a majority of listeners probably will agree we have so much to offer. So I need your help to demonstrate this truth. I need your help in creating an online community. So please share your milestones. This is how you can help. Send me your milestones. They could be anniversaries. They could be birthdays. Maybe it's a three to five, six sentence note to younger self. Something that you wish you had thought about as a younger man that occurs to you or as an older woman. And just put it down as a note to younger self. Or maybe it's a favorite recipe. Um, and here's one I really like, and I hope everybody will really jump on this. I remember when it could be 19, whatever, or it may be 2000 or whatever. Ideally, please share a memory that others will hear and go, oh yeah, I remember that. And then they in turn will share their memories, which continues to help us create an online community. So I look forward to reading your emails including posting them in a special section of my website. That section is called, are you ready? Inspiring Senior Moments. And you know, whenever you hear senior moments, it's usually a negative. So we're going to juxtaposition and use inspiring senior moments on awg55.com. Look forward to reading your comments, your emails. And now I hope you'll join me in 
welcoming our organization expert, Ashley Goode from Ashley Organizes, who has more decluttering tips. I gather you are, do you have a recommended amount of time? In other words, should someone spend an hour? Should there be 20 minute increments? Because at some point you're going to be like, I can't do this and you give up, right? And so you don't want to reach that saturation point. So how do you walk people through that? Or what do you recommend as a best practice for decluttering in terms of time? As a best practice, if you're with somebody, like if you were with uh, me as an organizer, um, I kind of do like the legwork. I'll pull all of the stuff out so that you can see it and and group it. And and you'll get like a bird's eye view of like, okay, I've got 10 of these things, three of these things. I don't, you know, I don't care about this or that. So then I'll call people in. So I kind of do the, the legwork. I call people in, then they make decisions. Then I go tell them to have a cup of coffee or some tea, Mm. get lost and we'll come back and we'll regroup. And, and so it's, spaced out at intervals. And we do that for maybe four or five hours, but I'm just calling on them little bits and pieces. If it were somebody doing it on their own, I would tell them to just do one space, like like start with a junk drawer, really start with something small, or like I said, a, a hallway closet or something, you know, benign, that's not going to a bathroom, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and just try to get one small area. A lot of times people will say, uh, this is the weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to clean my basement. You know, I'm going to go through the storage and it, it's, you know, you're almost setting yourself up for failure because it's just, it's too overwhelming and it's too much. So you just do it in like little bite-sized pieces and, 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 kind of just continue. But I always say, just do 15 minutes, just do a half an hour and then call it a day. And then some people will tell me, oh, I got into it. I wanted to do more, you know, Mm -hmm. or it was enough for 15 or 20 minutes, but they weren't bothered by it. So they do it the next day. Do you find a lot of people in that 15, 20 minutes just simply pull things out and start going through them? Or would you suggest only pulling out what you can dispose of or go through in 15 minutes? That way you're not leaving a lot of stuff on the floor when you're done. Well, that's a good question. Um, if it's just like a, like a drawer or junk drawer, then I, you know, you really do need to pull everything out to see what you have. So I would save enough time to do like that area. So, you know, add a little bit more if you're going to, to do, you know, the hallway closet, that kind of thing. Um, but you have to leave plenty of time to do something like a, um, a master bedroom closet. And the thing is, you, you really do have to pull out all of one category so that you are able to kind of see exactly what you, when I pull stuff out, they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot I had that. I, I didn't see that or, you know, um, you know, they're, they're surprised that how much comes out. Everybody always said, I can't believe there was that much stuff in that one area. Mm-hmm. But I, I would start with the smaller areas and, and, but you still do have to be able to pull it all out in that time frame. And then make some hard choices as well. Um, but, but we seem as a society to really get emotionally attached. You, know, you look at the explosion, I submit, you look at the explosion of storage uh, a oh, storage units. building units all over mm-hmm. town, building more, building more, which suggests yes. that we are on pace to continue packing, not dumping stuff, right? 
Because otherwise, in theory, Ashley, you would not need a storage unit if your house was organized to hold everything in an average American house. Would that be a correct assumption? Absolutely. Like I said, I think storage units, I mean, in, in rare instances, I agree with a storage unit. Like if somebody's passed away and you can't take their influx of things and you can't go through it. So you could, you could put that in a storage unit, but keep it for X number of months and then let it go. But otherwise, it really is just a place for delayed decisions. It's mm-hmm. stuff you, you, and everybody's so happy to get their stuff out of the house. They think they've made progress. What they've really done is just delayed some decisions. You know, you really mm-hmm. got to go through it and then say, okay, I do need to ask so-and-so if they want this piece, if they want that piece. Um uh, you know, should I fix this? Should I just get rid of it? But typically when we go into storage units and I've been, I worked in, um, two last week, um, they, they forgot that they had half of the stuff and, and they really only wanted maybe 20% of what was in there. And the rest was just eventually dumped and, and consigned and given to some friends, that kind of thing there was really very little that they wanted to keep because they had lived so long without it. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't miss or any of it or know they even had it. Yeah. And I guess as a time saver, it's also good to be organized as well. Um, Because if you're rummaging through things in the morning, like I like our our listeners may want to see one, a couple of closets that you've organized, even not for downsizing, but just for efficiency and or getting what you call uh, getting calming the chaos. Yes. Well, I think people love, um, a couple people are, you know, people tell me like, oh, this is just like therapy. You know, it's so good to wake up in the morning and and, and I have a clear idea of, of what I have and what I want to wear. You know, a lot of times too, people like in, in a closet, they're, they're looking at, you know, s- some size that they wore maybe in high school, <laughs> you know, and uh, realistically, you, you know, probably not going to get down to that size. So I think it's like a constant reminder or it makes them feel bad or they feel like they've bought a bunch of stuff that they actually didn't end up liking. And so it's, it's a little bit guilt, you know, they feel some guilt, like I've got all this stuff. So when, when you kind of pare it down and you get things that fit and look good and good color and, you know, they like it, even though it's far less stuff, they're happier. They say that, um, in a closet, people use uh, 20% of their, you know, really access 20% of their clothes 80% of the time. Wow, really? Yeah. So they just keep going to the same things over and over. That's their default. I like this sweater. Yeah. I like this color. You know, the, the, you know lack of creativity. I, not lack of creativity. I guess it's just uh, a pattern you get into, right? You got your favorite you blouse. I got my favorite shirt. That's what, how you we roll, right? Yeah, but see, then you've got all this like peripheral side noise that's, you know, talking to you like your jeans that are way too big or way too small or you wasted some money on that. And so, you know, you, you it's filled up with stuff that you you actually aren't going to miss, you know, and instead you can focus on the stuff that you really like. So, no, it, it does. It does make like getting dressed in the mornings, getting out the door. And especially I think if it's in your bedroom and you kind of have to pass by it, you know, all the time. It's a little more restful to mm-hmm. see, you yeah. know, kind of a clear space. 
I uh, was in a store the other day um, and uh, someone had said, I'm not buying anything. And he said to the salesperson, uh, matter of fact, what I've got on, I've, this is from the 70s and I still love it. It looks as good as anything on the rack. Well, actually, it didn't look as good as anything on the rack. It was like, he was a walking disaster. But nobody asked my opinion, right? So I kept my fashionista sense to myself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. That way. <laughs> Two last well, questions. Go ahead. Go ahead, I, I was just going to say, I'd let him keep it as long as it made him happy. I, I'd give him a pass on that. So You, you give him a pass on the uh Yeah, the I'd, I'd let boots. him keep the 70s outfit. Yeah, the, <laughs> he uh, loves it. The, uh, the, the members-only jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I'd tell him to get that. Yeah, that maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, but you touched on something I want to touch on in conclusion, just to kind of wrap up our delightful conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you, by the way. This is Me fun. too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see. You had said that uh, consignment, some things you may want to consign, some things you may want to give away. How does that actively right. work? And is there a percentage of things that you should automatically think about consignment versus just giving away? How do you make that de- decision between consignment versus like a goodwill, for example? That's a good question. Um, some people want to get rid of things, um, everything in a specific way that benefits somebody else. So for getting rid of towels, then they want that to go to an animal shelter. They like they they want to have things to know specifically where things go. They want um, games to go to a kid's, you know, a foster home and that kind of stuff. And I say, I love that. And I, and I appreciate that. I'm going to load it in your car though. And before I come back this next time, it has to go out, you know, I'll label it. I'll separate it all. We'll get it going or I'll call somebody into, you know, a high school kid to take it, but it, it needs to, to go. So, but there's really no like um, formula for what to donate, what to consign. I, sometimes people try to, they want to consign or use um, Facebook Marketplace or some of these apps like OfferUp and that kind of stuff. And I think that's good, but, you know, spending your time to get $5 on a shirt, you know, maybe isn't time well spent in the end. You know, if you've got just a giant pile of things, so I, I'll tell people, if you have something really special that's probably pretty valuable, let's spend the time to list that and, and sell it. But otherwise, um, to make real progress, depending on how much stuff you have, you know, it, it, it often is really good. People actually want to get it out of the house once they've made that decision. So a lot of it just goes to donation. I'd say just be, you know... Um, cognizant of your time and how much you want to spend on trying to get rid of something that in the end in the secondary market isn't going to make a ton of money that's fair i'm going to ask you for your concluding comments um but in the beginning of the program we talked about uh trivia how you want me on your trivia team and i hope this seals yeah, the I deal do. i hope this seals <laughs> a deal uh, because you okay. have dogs and i know you're passionate about dogs did you know ashley and our yeah. listeners as well did you know that dogs do not sweat by salivating they sweat through the pads of their feet okay i did not know that yeah most people dogs yeah absolutely 
but it's really through the pads of their feet. See, I love that kind of stuff. That is good. Yeah. I'm just that much smarter today. <laughs> Thank you for that little gem. That's good. And, and you made me laugh today, which I also need. So thank you very much for that, <laughs> you're, Ashley. You're this welcome. Is, this has My been pleasure. delightful. So anything uh, in terms of uh, of uh, your business, which is uh, ashleyorganizes.com, uh, anything <laughs> that you want to share in conclusion as we wrap up this session on uh, decluttering your house? Well, people always ask, you know, at what point should I call in a professional organizer? And and I always tell them that, you know, if you're just lacking motivation, you know, you could you could use an organizer um, for just a small amount of time, you know, to maybe get one really difficult area uncluttered and unstuck, and maybe that will help you like breeze into your other areas, or you could use it them full-time or, or just a little bit because I always am really aware of people's budgets and how much money they have to spend and I and I want them to get the maximum bang for their buck so I, I'm always like listen I will we can work an area and and get you going and, and I'll tell you what you know how to get rid of things and what we need to do um, but you can call on me now and then or you can use me a little or use me a lot but um, I think organizers are good when you really need just a boost, but you know, I always say you can do it yourself too. You know, you can absolutely just um, take just small steps and maybe have a friend. I always suggest not to have family members because that gets a little complicated because you know, there are a lot of, you you just need a neutral party. So I can see a family member saying, Uncle Bob would never get rid of that. Yeah. Put that down. He Let's loved it. that. He loved you that. Know? Uncle Bob didn't even know he had it in the last 15 years of his life or whatever. No, he, he probably doesn't even know it was his. So and guess I, what? I always now say it's not family. I'm sorry. What did you say, Ashley? I always just say, you know, just maybe family for family dinners and that kind of stuff, but maybe not to help you go through your stuff. Chances are you're going to enlist a friend. Yeah, that's good. Because otherwise, you're going to be pulling back things that you absolutely thought you were getting rid of. And here they come again. I know. They, they don't make it out the door. <laughs> the boomerang effect of Ashley's it is. business. <laughs> well, this yep. has been delightful, Ashley. Thank you so much for your time. I really Thanks, appreciate Dale. it. Running and walking are both excellent forms of exercise. Those who regularly do either typically have healthier hearts, stronger bones, and lower body weights than their sedentary counterparts. Yeah, you know who they are, right? We all love and adore someone who is a, you got it, couch potato. But we make no judgments here. I'm simply sharing information, which is physical activity guidelines issued by the Department of Health and Human Services calls for a minimum of 150 to 300 minutes per week of moderate activity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous activity. At a minimum, seems like the easiest thing we can do is walk, right? Like uh, maybe consider parking your car at a distance instead of right at the door to the grocery store, house of worship, or a shopping mall. The key difference between running and walking is how many calories you are burning, not per mile, but per minute of exercise, says Dr. Paul Thompson. He's the chief of cardiology at Hartford Hospital 
and is a professor of medicine and preventive cardiology at the University of Connecticut. For a 160-pound person, walking at a brisk 3.5 miles per hour pace for about 30 minutes looks like you're going to burn about 156 calories. But I'm going to challenge your math here because uh, running at a 6-mile-per-hour pace for that same 30 minutes, guess what? You'll burn more than double the calories, which is about 356. Dr. Thompson says running is a less efficient movement, and it's more demanding on the body, so it burns more calories per minute. But if you've got the time to walk long enough to burn the equivalent calories, then walking is fine, concludes the good doctor. Matter of fact, one of our future episodes of Aging with Grace will examine the impact of exercise and aging. But today... This is a perfect segue to my next guest, who has competed in senior games as both a race walker and power walker. And for friends who have listened to previous podcasts, you'll notice a trend here. We had a past episode that featured Bob Stacy, who competes in pickleball at the same senior games that our next guest participates in. The senior games, which are also known as Senior Olympics, is a national state sport event for individuals who are the age of 50 and over, with some competitors well into their 80s. So today's guest is in his mid to later 60s, and he still enjoys competing in the senior games. My next guest on this episode of Aging with Grace is Charlie Waller. Charlie is a uh, competitor in the uh, national senior games and race walking and also in power walking. And and, um, I thought it'd be different. You know, you see people doing different events, different things in the Olympics, Senior Olympic Games. And I thought last time we talked about, um, we talked about pickleball. And this time we're going to talk about race walking. And our guest uh, today is Charlie Waller. Charlie, are you with us? Oh, yes. Uh, Glad to be here. Good. I'm glad you're here, Charlie. And I appreciate you taking time to uh, discuss something that you're passionate about, which is uh, power walking and race walking. I guess we'll start off with the uh, first question. What's the difference between power walking and race walking? Okay. The basic rule for both is to have one foot on the ground at all times. And it's different from running in the sense uh, in power walking and race walking, uh, it's heel to toe. So your heel is going to hit first, and then you're going to push off with your foot at once that heel uh, hits the ground. The difference between race walking and power walking, basically, uh, in race walking, once your heel hits the ground, uh, uh, that leg has to be, remain straight as you go through your stride and push off. So that's where people make the comment when they watch uh, race walking is the funny uh, gait, you know, with the hip rotations and what have you. Whereas in uh, power walking, it's the same basics. However, uh, you can have a bent knee in uh, power walking. So, uh, and, and, uh, and in both sports, even at the National Senior Games last year, had judging to make sure that you didn't have both feet off the ground at the same time. And uh, uh, 
you know, they watch for the bent knee and race walking and uh, in the power walking, make sure that one foot was on the ground at all times, and but didn't worry about the uh, bent knee. And if I remember uh, correctly in the senior games, I think it's either after two or three cautions, uh, you're disqualified. Now, if you have both feet off the ground in either sport, uh, you can be automatically disqualified. That's automatic uh, disqualification. In Houston, uh, I did uh, a race walk event and a what power year was, walk What event. year was that, uh, Charlie, in Houston? What year was that? Uh, that was probably about six years ago. Okay, go ahead. Six years ago. Go ahead in Houston. In Houston. And the race walk event, I finished sixth in that. And then in the power walk event, it, which was the 5K, I, I, I was leading the race. And, but unfortunately, you know, these events use volunteers. And I got to one joint in the road. And the lady didn't know the, which way to tell me to go, which allowed this guy behind me to catch up. But I finished second in that one. That was my best finish ever. Wow. What is the uh, length of the course? And by the way, we're talking with uh, Charlie Waller. Charlie is a competitor in national senior games for uh, in race walking and also power walking. And Charlie, we appreciate your time this morning for our listeners. Can you, um, what's the distance? What's the average course length? Well, in the national senior games, both for power walking and uh, race walking, it's a 1500 meter, which I think is just under a, a mile or, or so, but it's 1500 meters. And then uh, uh, the next one is basically a 5K. Mm-hmm. And over the years, uh, and you'll see, you mentioned six years, but you've been competing longer than six years. Is that right? Yeah, it, it's been uh, quite a while. And, um, uh, you know, I've done senior games in Louisville, San Francisco, Cleveland. And last year in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What's the average age of uh, race walkers? Well, they got it's uh, well. It's not a well-known sport around here per se. Uh, most of the ones that I ever competed against, for the most part, were older folks, uh, say maybe forty-five and up. Uh, there, I, I would run across a few a little bit younger than that, but, uh, the national senior games either do it in three or four year increments as far as what you compete against. And, um, I got to be a friend with one lady, uh, here in Louisville when she competed at the Louisville games that was 80 years old. And I still saw her in Cleveland when I was there, uh, competing there. So, uh, but for the most part, it's not well known among younger people. And so it's more in the upper ages. Mm -hmm. Last question for you, Charlie, if some of our uh, listeners, if they wanted to uh, either race walk or power walk, how would you suggest they begin the preparation first steps and how would they uh, actually do it? Well, uh, a friend of mine, Donna Habig, uh, has a gentleman, and his name escapes me right this minute, but he comes in once a year 
to uh, put on uh, a clinic uh, for race walking to teach you the basics and stuff like that. So uh, if somebody contacts you, let me know, and I can get you the contact information for Don. And they usually do it in September of each year. Uh, power walking is a little bit uh, different. Uh, you can research it and learn the basics that way or find somebody that participates because you, you don't have to worry about the straight leg and that and power walking. Uh, race walking is a lot more disciplined, and uh, you got to work with it. But the big thing uh, I learned over years is never get frustrated. Um, uh, you know, you, it, it's a gradual process to learn how to do. You got to get in shape. You got to train regularly, and uh, uh, you know, and if you got resources like I've had over the years, where people tell you how to work out, lift weights, or whatever it is like that, uh, that comes in real handy. The fact that you competed as a, as a senior Olympian really means a lot, Charlie, and thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's no problem. Uh, I hope I've been helpful. You've been very helpful. And to our listeners, that's uh, Charlie Waller, who's a uh, power walker and race walker, who has competed at the uh, senior games at the highest levels. Of a, uh, of a very intriguing sport. Charlie, thanks for your time. Have a great day. All right. Take care now. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to listen to my podcast, Aging with Grace 55+, Plus, presented in collaboration with Kentucky Chapter AARP. Keep in mind, aging is a lifelong process that if you choose to see new possibilities, you will find them every day. Aging is not a time of diminishment, but applying lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. I'd love to hear from you. So reach out to me, dale at awg55.com by email, or visit our website, awg55.com. And now for a last thought for the day, good habits make time your ally, bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been Dale Josie host of Aging with Grace.